I'm Jenny Paladna. And I'm Chris Jones. And I'm Jim Stormdancer, and this is the only place on the internet. Wait, <laughs> no. How does this go? I haven't done this show in three weeks. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of weeks. Uh, I'm Jim Stormdancer, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. I think that's how it goes. It sounds right. And if not, that's how it goes now. Mm -hmm. Jenny, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Hi. Uh, I have nothing to plug. I was taking a sip of tea, waiting for you to finish your plug, and now I've <laughs> oh, now no. I can't take my sip of tea. I'm going to plug Jim's sip of tea. It's it's Earl Grey, okay. maybe. I don't actually know what variety of tea Jim's drinking, but I'm sure it's delicious. I think it's Sleepy Time. My wife made it for me. She's hoping That's I go nice. to sleep while recording this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris made me an ASMR video Aww, for this podcast. Yeah. That's really sweet. sweet. Yeah. I apparently have a really soothing ASMR voice. So yeah. It's true. <laughs> trying to trying to use it. Uh don't use it on this show. No ASMR rule. Or you could read the poem in ASMR, actually. Ooh. That'd be good. Okay. Okay. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, I would also like to plug uh, Jim's sip of tea. Mm -hmm. I think that it's it's just it's Earl Grey. It's delicious. It is a defining moment in our time, and uh, <laughs> it has to really be fully experienced to be understood. No, uh, I, I'm I'm cool. I'm just I'm hanging out for right now. Have you made any more <laughs> cooking videos since? Uh, not recently. What have like I a been? Year ago? No, because I've been back in school, which uh, they were just assigning me more homework than I could possibly imagine. So that was uh, taking taking Japanese one and a bunch of other stuff just completely wrecked my time schedule. Hoping to get back into it, though. You can take cooking classes. That's true. That is true. Would that ruin your cooking videos? Mm, I could I could like do the videos while I was taking the cooking classes. <laughs> uh, I bet the teacher would love that. If they that. taught you like the proper name for yogurt? <laughs> <laughs> no, it would just be me arguing with the teacher. <laughs> they call it gogurt. <laughs> Are we ready to start on some topics? Sure. Yeah. Jenny, your topic is the coming schism between Wordle purists and Wordle metagamers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's going to explode. Probably first we should talk about what is a Wordle. What is a Wordle? So a Wordle, somebody basically made a website that it is It generates the... like pixel art with green and <laughs> yellow blocks. Incidentally, it does that. What it's actually doing is it's generating a puzzle that's like the logic game mastermind. Put down different colored pegs, and the game master tells you how many colors you got right, and if they're in the right places or not. And this uses five-letter words. So you type in your five-letter word, and it pops up different colors. So if you got a letter right in the right place, it pops up a green square. If you got a letter right in the wrong place, it pops up a yellow square. And if uh, your letter's just completely wrong, it's a gray square. And you get six chances to guess. And then uh, when you're done guessing, you have a little share button. Um, but the thing about Wordle is that there's only one puzzle per day for everybody. So you don't want spoilers. So what you wind up posting to your social media, if you're everybody I know and anybody that I don't know on Narrative Game Dev Twitter is a 5x6 grid 
of green and yellow and gray squares. Yeah, if you don't want to see that stuff, you can mute the keyword, the green block emoji. (laughs) (laughs) But then how will you see the cowboy? Yeah, you'd miss the cowboy joke. (laughs) We, um, the the wordle patterns, whatever you want to call the little ASCII art, Mm -hmm. completely overtook the games channel in the Discord, and I was forced to create a wordle channel for in the Topic Uh, Lawyers Discord, mm -hmm. specifically for wordle. Smart, smart, smart. And it's just everybody like it's just people posting their ascii art and trying to like like identify it like looking at clouds like to describe uh-huh, it as uh-huh. a picture <laughs> it's very good very good stuff and all the people who are just in the games channel trying to discuss other games are very happy that it's not in there anymore <laughs> please i'm trying to play among us <laughs> no among us chat if that takes over the games channel i'm just gonna have to leave that's true i'm always glad to miss these things Sometimes mm-hmm. outside of this wave and it's, you know, it's, it's actually, I, I'm usually on the wave and I enjoy just, just watching it pass by from the shores sometimes. So this is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I mean, Wordle is, is a very low investment game. Yeah. Like you play it once a day. It takes, you know, depending on how hard you want to, to work at it, it takes five minutes or whatever. Yep. So tell us about this schism. Okay. So the other day. The other day I noticed my buddy and everybody's buddy, Kat Manning, Twitter, posted a puzzle that she got in one out of six tries. (laughs) And I was like, wow, mind blown Kat. And then in follow up tweets, she revealed the meta that she was using was that uh, Bruno Diaz had already posted his Wordle for the day. And she happened to know the starting word that Bruno always started with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely pushing the boundaries of what is cheating. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. If you know their starting word and, like, they have some green letters, that's just, like, you just know what those yeah. letters are. You just know what those letters are. Hmm. And I know uh, I try not to look at riffs. Wordle tweets before doing my Wordle because he and I actually have the same starting word. Oh, sure. Uh, what's your word? Stare. S-T-A-R-E. Yeah, as in what you do into the abyss. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's got some... Yeah, it's... You hit the big ones. Got some vowels in there. Yeah. It's been good for yeah. me. Yeah. Is there a way to make a version of this game that has active PvP on Twitter? And like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people would argue that that it's already doing psychic damage. <laughs> but how can we do more is the question that I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do I actually have an objection to anybody metagaming Wordle? Uh, not not necessarily, but I will admit that when I saw that, I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked and appalled. Appalled, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you do you, cat. Manning, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm judging you. Mm-hmm. So what, what we need in my version of, of Wordle is clearly a uh, a public leaderboard, like a very public leaderboard that does not disallow people who metagame to encourage them to metagame very heavily so that everyone can see the leaderboard oh. and know that there are no, there is no God, there are no rules here. Right. It's how like they have some people who are racing on on their feet. <laughs> and, but other people who are like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat in this foot race by using a car. <laughs> and everybody's say, like, Why don't yeah. you start your own race with just cars? I didn't know you'd ever been to one of my track and field events, Jim. I'm really glad you could make it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
I'm pleased. I'm enjoying a wordle. I feel like we're this close to having discourse. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're inches away. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. There was uh, in in the Wordle chat in the Discord, which I'm apparently now talking about all the time. They they started playing uh, human run games of Wordle, where the characters could be any Unicode character or any abstract concept. Whoa! So like E with an accent, Grav, uh, moistness. X, Y, Z? That would be a, a valid guess, yes. Huh. <laughs> it's all it's all gray. <laughs> five grays in a row. <laughs> I don't... How do you get a collection of five of those? Is, is there just nothing... Like, no analog for a valid word? Yeah, I guess that's true. It doesn't... It, it's not going to, like, form... <laughs> maybe it has to form a sentence or something. Yeah. Maybe it's like a rebus. I kind of like that. <laughs> if you have to guess a rebus... A five-character rebus. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a quote from Star Wars. <laughs> five-character rebus. <laughs> valid. <laughs> and then, like, you have a Unicode range of valid symbols. Uh, are you ready for another topic? Oh, boy. <laughs> sure. I don't even know what I'm ready for anymore. Uh, Chris, your topic is Amazon Kindle Fantasy bestsellers is ruled by niches that nobody outside of Kindle or Royal Road users have heard of. Yeah, and this this isn't a new phenomenon. I guess I'm just kind of like I've been I've been able to scratch out some reading time again after the the heinous class load I was under, and um, every time I browse the bestsellers, I'm just I'm, I'm gobsmacked by the kind of balkanization of what's kind of classically popular in, in terms of like the things that would show up on Twitter, right, as recommendations or whatever, and like the things that people are clearly actually reading because like. You know, number number fifteen here on the the bestsellers list is like a paranormal reverse harem novel, right? And then, uh, you know, just just hanging out in front of Harry Potter and Robert Jordan, right? Like, and that's that's the reality hmm. of what people are buying. Now, is this like ninety nine cents? No, that one is three ninety nine. The uh, the lit RPG guy by Shirtaloon, who's a, I think a Royal Road guy originally, um, is is tearing up the charts. Is like seven bucks. These are these are like real books, you know. Wow, I would have assumed this was like they were they were gaming the charts somehow. Like they set their book to two hundred and fifty dollars, <laughs> and then it's discounted ninety nine percent. And they're like, "Oh my god, a reverse harem book for only for ninety nine percent off? I can't afford not to." <laughs> yeah, my understanding is Amazon actually started putting some stuff in place to stop that from happening. And what we're seeing is actually like like stuff that people just genuinely like. And uh, I've I've read some of them. Some of them are uh, actually pretty good and some of them i'm just like i it's not my thing it's like reading somebody else's kind of fetish type of thing but just not usually not sexual so do these people just not know about ao3 or i don't maybe know maybe they don't i don't know or usenet yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh, pretty impressive yeah. actually i'm i'm happy for the for both the author and the readers that they found these their could thing just be people that missed the pre-corporate internet and they don't know that mm -hmm. people will just write them Minotaur romance for free. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, people are, a lot of these are starting out on sites like Royal Road, which is free, mm -hmm. and like is is basically like the, the survivor of that old internet style that you guys are talking okay. about. You know, people people transition onto Patreon or onto Amazon, right? It's just, the, the part that really interests me is that like, this is such a still kind of underground phenomenon in terms of being talked about by fantasy fans. In general, right? Like, there's a ton of clearly a ton of people reading these things. I'm not saying that people don't know what reverse harem is, right? Like, <laughs> there's not. <laughs> I like, don't know yeah. what reverse harem is. I think it's like reverse racism. <laughs> 
So it doesn't exist. <laughs> Wait. No. Where I don't know if I know what reverse harem is either, actually, now that I think about it. I'm sure that I've seen like Pro Z D joke about it on YouTube. I just I haven't Yeah. Huh. I mean, is it is it like a gender swap harem or I, that's my I think so? Do you have six women but they're all inside of you? <laughs> yeah okay, yes. On according to goodreads.com, reverse harem is literally the opposite of harem. Okay. Of the group of males centering around a singular female. That is not a good opposite. I don't yeah. think that's a I don't think that's an opposite at all. I think uh, that's the same thing, but gender swapped. Uh-huh. Yep. And this is what I mean when I say it's like reverse racism, although I was guessing. Okay. <laughs> we uh we have a friend who knows all of the topics that you can't make books about on Amazon without coding oh, yeah. it and knows all of the code words. And uh that's that's really cool. Uh can you can you go more into this? I'm curious now. <laughs> uh like what? What is it like? What, some of the age play stuff they have to use special words for, like daddy. Even even like not oh. not like actual dad, not like step stuff like that. Daddy. But step daddy or stuff like that. Yeah, they like it's. I can't remember. Like brats or something is the word that they use to signal that that's oh. happening. And like wow, minotaurs are fine, for instance, but like bestiality <laughs> is not. And actually, there's a minotaur book at like the top of the erotica list right now, so that's pretty mm. weird. Near the top. As long as it's half human. Right. And as long as it's the half with the genitalia <laughs> on it. <laughs> so, Smashwords, I have an erotica I put on Smashwords, and they keep wanting me to uh, to claim that I haven't done all of these things, including bestiality. And I'm like, well, okay. So I have a character. It's a horse with human intelligence that was uh, magically altered to have a penis growing out of its back. And somebody definitely has sex with that penis during the book. So I just haven't answered the question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so if you tagged that bestiality, all yeah. the bestiality fans would be super pissed. Oh, they'd be so upset. Yeah, they'd be yeah. like, nothing. I love the idea yeah. that there's this, you've, you've created something that exists in a liminal space. <laughs> Between bestiality and, and reverse bestiality. <laughs> right, yeah. The natural opposite. Oh, reverse bestiality where the animal has sex with the person. <laughs> but like somewhere I got it into my head that if you lie on the internet or if you're factually incorrect on the internet, somebody's watching like those those websites where you put your age in. You know, if you lie about that, somebody's going to find out and they're going to like come to your house. So I haven't been able to click the no, this is not bestiality. Yeah, the IRS is going to come. Yeah. <laughs> I see here you marked on your W-2 that you published a book that does not have bestiality in it. <laughs> yeah, what do you call this horse? I mean, it's a collection of atoms that <laughs> are operated on by the laws of physics. It's true. The distinction between those atoms and the surrounding <laughs> atoms exists entirely in your head. That's wow. Holy shit. <laughs> this is this is how I get out of, tra- out of traffic court. <laughs> <laughs> People just they're sick of you being in traffic court talking like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now I'm just imagining you in traffic court, right? And, you know, the, the judge or the, the cop who's shown up is like, I don't see why it matters if the horse is human intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> right? And they, They're going to have to change the training at that police station to like, okay, you have to administer an <laughs> IQ test to this horse before you can... <laughs> 
somebody make a Kindle subcategory out of this. We need to. And I mean, the IQ <laughs> test is going to be biased towards humans anyway. There's no way a horse is going to do well on <laughs> We're that. We're going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court if we have to. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, all right, all right, all right. One sentence pitch, not to get too far off of things. But but horse court, right? And it's basically just Judge Judy, but with like a clever Hans type horse in like yeah. a judicial robe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Who decides the cases by like clopping yeah. on things to make rulings. And that's that's basically all I've got, but I think that's all you I'll need. I'll give you a right? million like dollars a... to make this. Why thank you. You're welcome. I would do a crime just to go to horse court. I just want to see that horse judge me. I might actually show up for jury duty for once. (laughs) (laughs) If it was was summoned as a juror in horse court, I'd be like, this is going to be great. (sighs) Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, My topic is, in high school, I knew a guy who one time managed to use up all the ink in a ballpoint pen. The ink tube was just totally empty. It was astonishing. Nowadays, whenever we run out of olive oil, I get the same thrill. (laughs) I did it. I used all the oil. I am so impressed with your friend who used all the ink in his pen. I was too. It was amazing. And like he was acting like this happens all the time. Wow. Okay, so if I admit that I <laughs> am that guy in both the pen and the olive oil <laughs> senses. I knew you were that guy yeah. in the olive oil. Right. I mean, you've seen, I have to, I go through those V5 pens. They are technically ballpoints. Yeah. I assume those were just going to the pen dimension. No, I, I go through <laughs> one uh, every week and a half or so. I buy a four pack or three pack or whatever a couple of weeks. Wow. Because they're dry? You just do that much writing? Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I do the I do the, the artist's way three pages of morning journaling, and I, I've started writing down, like, everything that I think is kind of important in general and stuff like that. It's a lot of, like, note-taking. Yeah, I guess it's mostly the journaling, though. You'll, you'll go through ballpoint pen ink real fast if you, if you keep, like, a three-page-a-day journal. If you write three pages a day, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think back to high school. How much did I write in high school? And it was... It felt like a lot at the time. It did feel like a lot. I don't, but I don't know if it was three pages or not. Like I, I'm, I'm thinking about the the lump I had on my mm-hmm. uh, the middle finger on my right mm-hmm. hand mm-hmm. that I thought was just like my weird biology. Nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but that it just entirely went away when I graduated from high school and suddenly wasn't writing with a pen anymore. Yeah. What an astonishing quality of life improvement. Yep. yep. <laughs> Boy, yeah, I find that I, I type and mouse like 17 hours a day now, and whenever I have to write down like a shopping list physically, it's just like, ah, what are these motions? <laughs> I feel like a unicorn. This is pretty cool, actually. And do you have that lump we're talking about? Yeah, I, I do. I don't think it's ever gone away, actually. Wow. <laughs> like, it's not just that, like, I had terrible uh, uh, style or form, I guess is the word. That it's there for even people with good handwriting. Oh, I don't have good handwriting. That's not, that's, no, that's, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny, does he have good handwriting? He does not have good handwriting. I have good handwriting. I sure don't. I had a lot. You do. Oh. Yeah. And and you're the one, and yet you're the one who's acting confused about. (laughs) It's just, I I think my hand, it thinks it can only type in mouse now. So when I have to do things like, like write with a pen or like pick up, a frying pan and take it over to the sink mm-hmm. to wash it it gets real upset sounds awful sounds like a terrible way to live sounds like a repetitive stress injury in the making honestly yeah yeah all those pans you're yeah. carrying it's very stressful so between the three of us we have all the bases covered we have likes writing but is bad at it 
doesn't like writing but is good at it and doesn't like writing and is bad at it. Oh, we don't have somebody who likes writing and is good at it. Oh, nuts. Okay. I don't know why I figured, thought we could ever have all the bases covered with three, three people. people. Yeah, and four <laughs> options. Yeah. Right. I mean, so I, I can write I can write good handwriting, right? But it's it's like one of those, um, I, can, I can write good handwriting, he said in perfect English. Um, I, what I can't do is write super legible handwriting and also do three pages of college ruled longhand in 15 minutes. Right, which I can do if I'm just like flying chicken scratches that I can read, but that no other human being without some kind of advanced uh, cryptography degree can like can decipher what I'm what I'm putting down. I frequently look at our grocery list and go, "What's Borkel? Why do we need Borkel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about Verklemen? <laughs> there should be like an employee at the grocery store whose job <laughs> it is to decipher people's handwriting. <laughs> Like, they're just really good at that one task. Or, since it's a retail job, it's just whoever was unqualified to do the other jobs. That's great. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that definitely says yeast. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. I think the Pareto, the Pareto principle says it's going to be the person who's carrying the most weight that people are running up to and showing them this, this freaking sheet of paper while they're, like, juggling. Yeah. Gosh, the retail around here is completely, like, the, the most understaffed that I've seen. Uh, I guess because of because of the current events, but it's wild. Yeah. Also, salt. I use up all the salt, and I'm like, yes, I need. I get to refill the salt pig <laughs> from this salt cylinder. Oh, you have a salt pig. Yeah, that's exciting. That's really cool. Yeah, I've definitely. Yeah. Oh, I, and I also have a. I mean, along the same lines, I have a cruet of olive oil that I get to refill from the the big jar of it that we buy. It's so it's it's like I get the I get the thrill extra times. It's like a two x bonus. I have that with uh with Jenny. Kind of was sad at me about the fact that that you had to mortar and pestle your salt and pepper <laughs> in the house for a while uh, until I I bought some some actual grinders and you I you bought I, some grinders. I bought those grinders, sir. Wait, no, I bought the I first set of grinders. I went online and bought the grinders. I am pretty sure. No, I will check I'm gonna, my Amazon I will, receipts. Yeah, you check your receipts. I'm going to check my receipts because sure I think that I bought I these bought grinders. The grinders. No. All right. I might have okay. said, hey, it's time to buy some grinders. These receipts have to go in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Along with like handwriting samples, right? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we got some grinders and refilling them is that joy. That you're describing mm. with the with the olive oil cruet and the and the, the the salt pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not when you're in the middle of some complicated cooking shenanigans, but you know. Oh, I haven't had that experience yet. Where like I need the salt right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's nothing in the salt pig. <laughs> like the sauce is burning, and there's nothing, and you you have not a third hand to to handle all this. Yeah. <laughs> right. The sauce is burning, and the only solution is to salt it. <laughs> I bought a salt and a pepper grinder on July 16th, 2021, sir. Okay, I'm going to look this up because if we both bought salt and pepper grinders, like, <laughs> I have questions. Have Namely, <laughs> why don't we have two each, right? Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I will accept this for now. Although I, okay. I think that I, I think that I was the one who initiated this. If no, I did not. no, I got I did. sick of using I did. the mortar and pestle. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I firmly remember. I remember buying. We like, need to go to horse court. <laughs> we do need to go to horse court. <laughs> Have we finally found something to harass John Hodgman about? Yeah, you know he follows <laughs> okay. me on Twitter now. Oh, he does. Okay. Yeah, and I always check to see if he's unfollowed me yet. <laughs> and whenever he hasn't, I feel relieved. 
Like I'm I'm not tweeting too bad. <laughs> I remember I remember back when I checked whether people had followed me. Uh-huh. It's not a good place to live. No. You don't want to you don't want to be there. No. It's okay if you have like one or two and they're pretty solid, I guess, but mm-hmm. yeah. If I had two followers, I would be pretty sad if one of them unfollowed me. Yeah. Usually if I see the number fluctuating, I just figure that there were bots that followed me and those accounts got deleted. Yeah. That's, yeah. That seems right. Yeah. I remember like for a long time, for years, I would very scrupulously block any bot accounts that followed me. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know why I bothered because those yeah. I'm sure they were just gone in the next the next day anyway. Mm-hmm. I've had the experience of people people following me on Instagram that I was pretty sure were like bot or fake accounts and stuff, and I try to I try to like un reverse follow them when I can. But like there's there's like two that um that seem to be real people and just had that that same look of like a fake account, right? But like they actually, you know, back when I was posting stuff on Instagram, they would actually like like stuff and interact with my posts in a way that suggested being real. And that was very weird. You know, just people I don't huh. know, like, yeah, just like fashion people accounts or something. People who don't pass the Turing test. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like I'm weird. popular with the, with the robots. It's weird. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. I forgot yeah. what this topic was. Oh, finishing the the pen and the olive oil. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be reading the Tiger by Nail Age Six. Chris, do you want to? Do you want to? You want? We discussed this. I don't know if you actually want to do it. Uh, you reading this in your ASMR voice? I'm willing to do this if you would like me to, uh, or if by I, like. I, is I a think strong you word. should. Okay. If you think I should. All right. Well, hi there. Today. We're going to be reading The Tiger by Nail, age six, from They're Singing a Song in Their Rocket. The tiger, he destroyed his cage. Yes, yes, the tiger is out. And there we go. And there it is. Yeah, there it is. That poem is great. I think this is an excellent, an excellent poem from written by anybody at yeah. any age. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm here for it. There is no more to this poem than there needs to be, and mm-hmm. I super appreciate that in a poem. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and it works on a literal level. It works on a metaphorical level. It yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is there a third level? Uh, it's got a nice shape. It's got that works on a visual yeah. level, a, yeah, a temporal level. Like it's capable of going back in time and influencing other poems. Before. It looks like oh. it's like it's someone throwing up the horns sideways. Oh yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I like how the first yes is title case, and then the second yes is all <laughs> caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know about they're singing a song in their rocket because until you read that aloud, I had just skipped over those words. Mm-hmm. Now, this came up in the Topic Lords Discord. <laughs> I mean, th- it was uh, we have a, um, a channel called Future Episodes where uh, people suggest topics, and I believe it was posted there. I, I really wish that I could experience the inside of this this child's head in a metaphorical sense, not, a, not a, an actual sense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of yeah, <laughs> just in case you're listening, FBI. Yes. What if a concept restaurant, but it's a six-year-old skull? <laughs> no, just to know to know like what exactly he was he was thinking about and going for when he when he was writing this. I assume it was that the nail is a he, but that might not be true. 
So it's a book published by Eight Two Six DC, a charity organization based in Washington DC. They're publishing a collection of their students' poems. Nice. Wow. So this is just like a child in a class writing the yeah. best mm-hmm. poem. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And there's a a link to purchase a different book that's <laughs> not i was clicking on that because i was excited to buy it to purchase a different book than the one i was looking it, at. yeah it says the anthology that contains nails poem the tiger can be purchased here and then i clicked on the link and this is a different book it does have uh the tiger in it oh though, it, it has it has mm-hmm. the tiger in it yeah oh oh okay so but it's it's the book you will be able to say a thousand words mm. viral poetry sensation the tiger <laughs> yeah, so perhaps Man. perhaps there was another it was first published in that other. What website is this on? So this is like astounding magic. And if you like scroll down and look at the Okay, okay. Tivoli's astounding magic supply company, Illusionarium and Deluxe Haberdashery. That sounds fake. That sounds like You can buy your copy of of Nails the Tiger containing anthology by this DC outfit and also an invisibility cloak. <laughs> right in the same transaction as far as i can tell an empty hanger the website is astoundingmagic.com <laughs> oh this is somebody was tweeting about they're like what are those stores that only sell like rosemary soap and uh like small books about witchcraft mm, yeah so i can't tell if so it looks like they sell magic supplies but it also just looks like they sell like jokes on you, the purchaser. Yeah, there's a votive candle featuring Harry Houdini, the handcuff king. <laughs> I didn't realize he had a title. <laughs> Apparently, he was Harry Houdini, the handcuff king. I'm getting strong vibes of the. Um, I don't know. Have I, have either of you been into the like the the? Uh, I don't even know if it's still around, but it was like the uh, in person McSweeney's location in in san francisco that was kind of had this vibe where it was like you could get like a dave eggers anthology and also a set of chattering teeth and and a pirate hat it was a weird scene so this is all circular because this is apparently this the official storefront for the nonprofit that does the writing program where the kids write the tiger so you buy you buy this rubber finger And it gives the money to Neil H. Six. I, I really like the idea that like it's the it's the Tiger Workshop where you're all right the Tiger, <laughs> and it just reads you the poem so you, in like a transcript speed, so you can just write it out, and then you all came home, go home and show your parents how you wrote the Tiger. <laughs> An adult version of that, where you go and they give you a glass of wine and they read you the Tiger, and you drink the wine while you write the Tiger. <laughs> right. Yes, and then you show your grandparents. <laughs> The new, the new Heartland sensation with soccer moms is to just go get wine and be read the tiger. Mm-hmm. That would mm-hmm. actually be pretty cool. I think, yeah. I'd do that. This thumb tip thing. Uh-huh. They're selling four thumb tips, each of a different race. Okay. They look super unconvincing. <laughs> like, they look like the worst thumb. Like, if I saw somebody with that thumb, I would worry that, like, they have some sort of a disease <laughs> where their body's turning to rubber. Oh, man. I have to get on the same page as y'all. Yeah. Look at this thumb tip. I'm trying. But also, this is totally the sort of thing that like a, a magician would say, yeah, no one ever notices. They all look like, like really shitty thumb tips, but no one ever notices because they're paying attention because you're waving your other hand or whatever. Oh, I found them. Whoa, that's that's real 
That's that's real odd. For two dollars, you can buy the book Fifty Tricks with a Thumb Tip by M. Christopher. <laughs> really yeah. published in 1948. You can do burning and restoring a handkerchief. You can do dollar bill and banana. What if all of the the like the child poetry stuff is just like somebody sat down and was like, we have all these thumb tips that we need to sell, right? <laughs> and also Let's like you some children, like you run you run a school. <laughs> For gifted poetry students, can we use our gifted poetry students to move these thumb tips? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's all just this deep scam. <sighs> man, capitalism is wild. Magicians, man. Capitalism, both. I kind of want this book about 50 tricks you can do with a thumb tip. I'm not going to fool anybody. I mean, it's only $2, right? Like, there's it a very low buy-in for you for this. Yeah. yeah you... <laughs> you guys, this is actually covered in the fact. Oh, really? Uh, Tivoli's astounding, mag- astounding Magic Supply Company is the storefront for 826DC, a literary nonprofit offering free writing, pr- writing programs for DC students ages 6 to 18. That's why we also sell books. Uh, and then the next question is, why does 826DC have a magic-themed <laughs> gift shop? They did. It is the pirate supply store, basically, except ah. with, oh. with kids. Yeah, look at that. It's inspired by uh, Dave Eggers and friends. Well, all right. Oh, hey, I'm actually within, I could, I, like, because I'm in Virginia right now, I could uh, theoretically, like, if it stops snowing, I could I could take the take the metro. Go get a thumb and, tip. And go, go get a thumb tip from there. Go go brave, brave Omicron <laughs> to buy a thumb tip <laughs> in D.C. Thumb tip. Well, it'll protect your thumb from getting Omicron. <laughs> They've got a book called Grandpa Magic. You can hypnotize a napkin. This is incredible. <laughs> oh yeah, as a as a dad, I feel like I should learn some magic tricks to do in front of my son. Oh, absolutely. You got to confuse that child as much as you can before his little neurons finish connecting mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah, yeah. Right now the only one I do is I pretend to eat something by turning my head and then putting it behind my face. <laughs> 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 and then I hold it back there, and he says, it's behind your neck. <laughs> Kid's too smart, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, he might have to bust out the thumb tips. Uh, remember, uh, I was moving all my things back from California one time, and our U-Haul broke down outside of King City, and we wound up in a repair shop, and the repair guy's son showed us this magic trick. That was literally just him shooting a rubber band across the room and pretending not to know where it went. (laughs) Wait, so the idea is that he's going to make the rubber band disappear, but only for himself. (laughs) (sighs) Wow. Yeah, it was the best magic trick I've ever seen. So... I, you know, if you want to go for like, if you want to be a legend, right, as a, as a, a magic trick dad, I bet like just learn a bunch of magic tricks really well and start doing them for your kid, but intentionally messing them up, right? And like just establish your reputation as like not being able to do magic tricks and it's just a cute thing and your, you know, like son is just like dad, you know, and gets annoyed when you try. And then like on like his 18th birthday, like take him aside and do every <laughs> single magic trick perfectly and just look at him and walk out of the room and never answer any questions about it ever again. So you take him out driving <laughs> mm. when he's 16 and you're learning to drive mm. and you're like... Okay, son, drive straight at that mountain. And he's like, but dad, we'll die. And you're like, watch this. And then you wave your hand and a tunnel appears. Well, I can't do it. I can't, the tunnel can't appear until you have to, you have to actually die. <laughs> oh. But 
Then when he's 18, <laughs> I can do it again successfully. <laughs> I like the implication that he's going to age two years while dead. And, and so will I, yeah. hopefully. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. So. Uh, Chris, your topic is, why can't wizards or any of the clones figure out how to make D&D fun to play at high levels? Why is this an unsolved design? Oh, you started the sentence with, why can't wizards or any of the clones? And I thought we were going <laughs> to a different place. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just, I was trying to use shorthand on that one. Um, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so that it would, it would, yeah. Are you all familiar with this phenomenon? And somebody, I know someone's going to write in and be like, I don't know, it works perfectly for me. And, and like, you know, bust out all of their math. And, and that person needs to go work for Wizards of the Coast. I have played NetHack, which is not very fun at high levels. Yeah, although that does have a better curve than D&D does, actually, in that it stays mostly difficult, and it gets it gets really awful. <laughs> like, it, NetHack gets, I would say NetHack gets pretty easy once you get, huh. like, past the castle. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I mean, there can, anyway, I... I <laughs> no, we talk about D and D's difficulty balance uh, on our on our uh, on our own time. But we're talking about D and D now. Like I've played a little, very, like the tiniest bit of D and D, and I've never played high level D and D. But I did when I was like ten years old. Have like I had the red box, and then five more boxes, and I think that was all of them. And I read all those books, so <laughs> I really got the impression that like. I didn't know what to make of it at the time, but looking back on it, it really got, I really got the impression that like towards like level 30, it became much more like less about rolling dice and more about actual RPing. I, well, maybe, I don't know. Like they, they added level 30 in AD&D, but like the red box set, was that, because that's old school. It was super old school. This was like in the mid 80s. Yeah, yeah. That was the old school times. Late 80s. Yeah. The Moldvay, Mold, I, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get. Tom Moldvay's name wrong, probably, but yeah, yeah. I feel like Basic, actually, they, they put in a thing in Basic that did this better, where they, they changed the, like, things that you were trying to do, so it was like, okay, you're gonna you're gonna go try to be a god after level 15 or something? Yeah. That's what I remember, yeah. Yeah. In most versions of the games, the rules just kind of break down, and I think this is partially, like, content creep or something causing this, but, like, it's, it's still a problem now. Like, I've heard people who are, like like published design people who are involved with the game being like, yeah, just, just cut off your campaigns at like level 10 or whatever. If you, and it's like, <laughs> how did you guys, how, how does this keep happening? Right? Like, and, and yeah, it's, it's just kind of an interesting phenomenon where, yeah, the, the rules just break down. It really seems like this should be a solvable thing. Like I haven't, I haven't played D and D to that level. Do you have a sense of like, what are the factors that make this a difficult problem? Yes, and for the non D and D people playing, I would I would say that it's similar to how the top of a skyscraper sways a lot more in the wind than the bottom, huh. and so when it gets windier, right, like at the top, it's it might cause more kind of problems that need to be structurally addressed because there's more there's more sway. Yeah, and it's hard to deal with content creep, like when you're putting out just new stuff on top of it, like that that kind of uh, just that gets worse. I just don't, I don't know if anybody, I don't know if anyone has ever in the history of Dungeons and Dragons sat down and been like, I mean, they, no, okay, so third edition, they made the epic level handbook, but that still had the same problem, right? Like, I, I just, yeah, it's weird. It's weird that nobody seems to have sat down and been like, how can we make this math work? The way that computer RPGs handle this is they just scale up the monsters commensurately. And so it's just <laughs> like, they adding a zero to every number in the game. Mm. 
So like you're, oh, everything's higher level. You're higher level. So are the skeletons. You're doing <laughs> twice as much damage. They have twice as good. Their armor is twice as good. Mm-hmm. And it seems pretty workable. Like the player feels like they're getting more and more badass. Yeah. They can go back to the previous area and fight the easy skeletons. And it's really easy. Mm-hmm. And like, if anything, the problem comes with like how well used to have three abilities, which was enough, like few enough to keep in your head, but now you have six abilities and you have to like, if they're designing the encounters to require that you use a variety of like six abilities, maybe that's a different kind of game than when you just had three and maybe the people who are playing it don't enjoy (laughs) the increased complexity. Right. A lot of campaigns that I've run, it comes up less because I got real comfortable early on with the PCs just being able to kill whoever, whenever, and the the consequences being political or world building type of stuff, which requires everybody to care about the NPCs, which is really, that's, you know, or or like the world, right? Um, Yeah. So you kind of have to have that emotional buy-in, but if you have that, it doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, as much if, if you can just one shot everything. Um, Yeah. But I think the thing is that it's not, it's not just like. The solution that you're describing, like, at least there's a, there's a math kind of curve where it, it also goes, like, conceptually quadratic, where, like, this guy over here just created a fortress out of nothing, and, and the wizard is doing some weird combination of spells, you know, that's just completely broken on a non-numerical level, right? Like, the effects are just are just bizarre right. in a way that the designers didn't intend. I understand this is a difficult problem, but it's just it's weird that the, th- the towel keeps being kind of thrown in. Like, why is this mountain here? Oh, the wizard couldn't get <laughs> right. to the top shelf to reach his SpaghettiOs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do like, back in the day, we used to have this thing where it's like, the, the one of the DM advice things was like, don't, don't let the players fight Thor because they'll find a way to kill Thor even if you don't want them to kill Thor. Like, just don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't like prevent present that option if you don't want it to happen and like and and it's okay to be like thor hits you with his hammer and he kills you because he's thor right like thor doesn't have stats sure you know is kind of a thing that you can yeah yeah do carefully as a dm some some clone editions like the old school revivals they actually just cut it off at level 10 like there isn't anything above level 10 in a lot of those there's got to be some reason why like i, I feel like i could solve this problem in a weekend and like I could make my own tabletop RPG campaign that instead of having to stop at level ten, it's still fun up through level fifteen, mm-hmm. and I could be a millionaire overnight. But do people just not do campaigns? Just never get that far. Mine certainly never did. Right. I think they didn't used to in some cases, but the age the age range has gone up a little bit. Where you have like this vast kind of like penelope of people playing the uh, the hobby now. Uh, yeah, no, I hear more about longer campaigns happening. Like, it's definitely this has become more of a going concern. I think because of people watching stuff like Critical Role uh, and things like that, where like long play sessions, where even I think Matt Mercer even is cutting it off at level fifteen. I've definitely taken a crack at this, but I think you have to know the math inside and out, and also be thinking about a lot of really weird edge cases. I, I think it would take longer than a weekend, but I'm definitely. I've I've thought a lot about this. Level 15 is probably easier than like level level 20 where you start getting like wishes and stuff. Although actually, wait, no, because uh, limited <laughs> okay. wish is like level 15. I just wouldn't have wishes in my game. There you go. No, that's, I mean, that's like a valid <laughs> like answer is like maybe don't let the PCs have wish, right? Like, yeah, I've been running this, this old school campaign where I just, I made it so that there was this bunch of wizards who didn't let anybody else have the continual light spell which back in the the old school rules was just stupid broken wait why is that broken the old school version it's of just it. a, like a holding a lantern right no that's the the new version of it the like continual flames or whatever the the 
old version of this nonsense was a permanent, an object would start permanently glowing with sunlight for forever. And uh, you could grow plants with it. You could blind people with it. There was no, and it was level two. So there was like, <laughs> there, it was, there's no reason that every city in the world wouldn't be lit up with continual just light spells. Fire. Yeah, on fire every day. Like, it'd just be like, everything would look like Oz, like the city of Oz, and it would be ridiculous right like you would you would never be able to and so i I finally i'm like i can't think of any reason why they wouldn't do all that and this just wouldn't like everything is super bright so i'm just going to take the spell away (laughs) because i'm tired of i'm tired of looking at this thing (laughs) if you're trying to build a DD campaign where the players are trying to like bring on the next stage of civilization (laughs) and the way they the way you intend to do that is with a dungeon crawl Mm -hmm. But instead, they learn this lighting spell and just cast it everywhere. <laughs> like, I could see them, like, the DM being frustrated that, like, oh, they didn't go on my dungeon crawl. But you could also just say, like, hey, your motivation is to go on this dungeon crawl. Like, <laughs> this is making me want to play a really high level game with, like, the pettiest stakes in the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you only have ninth level spells. And your goal, somebody stole your leftovers out of the work fridge and you want them back. (laughs) Have you all ever read uh, the Dying Earth series by Jack Vance? No. No. That was absolutely the Rialto the Magnificent uh, stories, I think. That was exactly what you're describing. It was was super wizards in the future who just were were feuding over the pettiest dumb crap because nothing mattered anymore and they were you know they were they're basically gods so like why not feud yeah. over over literally the dumbest things and you can actually you can do that in D&D I've run a, a campaign that I just had everybody be a high level wizard who was like a teacher at a wizard school and they just started fighting over dumb crap <laughs> immediately okay. that seems kind of inevitable yeah. I I feel like like D&D when I think of the rule set the intentionality of it seems so constrained to like, here's how you fight an orc <laughs> that like applying it to anything but that is like, just, just do a fucking freeform RP session, mm. man. There's better systems for many of the other things that you want to do with it. Yeah, for sure. So do I finally get you to read 220 by telling you that it's this dying earth by Jack Vance, except with football. I, I mean, I think you already did tell me that, and I, I already have it on the on the to do list. Let me. Uh, I will add it. <laughs> it's not. I think you can get through it in a couple hours. It's not. Oh, I'm sure. That I'm much. sure. This is a very short book. Oh, it's a. Have you not? Have you not read this either, Jim? I'm not familiar. It's, a, it's John Boyce's interactive, mildly interactive, like multimedia. I guess is the word. Web thing. And the, the premise is, it's the year 220, humans have all of their needs just taken care of in kind of the dumbest American culture ways possible. Like, it's just that uh, you call up the Pizza Hut and they don't charge you money <laughs> to bring you a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you eat. And American football has evolved into this absolutely bizarre game that's played across the entire country it's super good okay. super good okay. story i'm gonna read big it. recommend okay. yeah i that sounds that sounds good i'm a, i i like john boyce's other work so yeah. how does this compare tonally to that insidious beast by zach parsons is that the one with the uh the fruit instructions for a fruit i don't remember i remember zach parsons thing being future stories that felt like i was reading a clockwork orange again except written by a something awful writer 
I would say that 220 is more accessible. Okay. Okay. And a little goofier. Okay. I will yeah. I will check it out. That's another Okay, so subcategory that I've actually been really enjoying. There's some amazing spin-offs of SCP Project floating around on Amazon. Mm. That are actually oh, that's interesting. real page turners. Kind of some some really kind of like there's some amateur writing mistakes, but like some of those writers are phenomenal storytellers. I've got one that I have recommended multiple times on this mm. podcast, and I'm not ashamed to do it again. Yeah, uh, it's called "There Is No Antimimetics Division." Ah, uh, that was the one I was thinking of. I just read it. Oh my god, that book is really good. It's so good. It's so good. Looking this up, there is no anti-memetics to be. Yep, that was the central example of what I was okay. thinking of. Yeah. yeah. I was hoping you had another one for me, but... I have I have come across a couple of others, but I'll have to look them up. But that was definitely the the one I was thinking of. But if you yeah. you should read that Insidious Beast actually, if you like, uh, and if you haven't before, uh, and you liked, there is no antimimetics division. Uh, Zach Parsons, that Insidious Beast. It's free online on something awful. You can just read it. All the way through. Right. Yeah, Jenny, if you um, are not familiar, do, do you know about anti-memes, the idea of anti-memes? Yeah, I think I did. I think I have read uh, some some anti-meme-based short stories on SCP before. Yeah. I, I think it's the guy who invented the idea, like the nice. first anti-meme SCP, running with the idea just about as far as you can go with it. And it really, it, it goes some kind of uh, apocalyptic places with it it's pretty impressive very scp story yeah philosophical horror lovecraftian apocalypse type stuff and what i was really impressed by was like the one of the things that always happens in like lovecraftian stories especially lovecraftian apocalypse stories is that you never actually get to see the apocalypse right yeah. you never get to see the the real horror and this story like actually shows you a little bit of that world and it's not disappointing oh wow which is amazing yeah, that's that seems really hard to pull off. Yeah, yeah. I was I was really impressed. Like it, it just writes a bunch of checks, and you're like, they can't possibly cash all these checks. And they're like, oh, I'm gonna cash these checks. <laughs> <laughs> they cash the checks. It's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's pretty good. Oh, that reminds me of the total tangent. The part in Counterfeit Monkey, um, Emily Short's text game where you're you're playing through and you're like yeah yeah there there are all these restrictions on what you can't do with the puzzles and you're like well that makes sense because otherwise she would have had to write all these just way too many options for these puzzles and then halfway through it's like okay we're taking those restrictions off and you're like whoa (laughs) yeah that's pretty impressive yeah I'm glad that I can read these these things again. This is a, uh, a mildly personal thing, but I, I had a uh, psychotic episode induced by an antidepressant back in 2014. Yikes. My mania episode was based, which are often based around language, uh, which is really interesting. I've talked to a couple of other people who've, who've survived that particular nonsense. And um, yeah, my kind of fixation was that humanity was under assault by intelligent memes. And that was in 2014. And I'm still to this day not like sure that I was totally wrong <laughs> about it. <laughs> but for a while, it's very and it's it was very difficult to read things about memetics without having a bunch of like weird garbage uh, from that time period pop up that it was just hooked ne- neurons together with my brain. But uh, I'm now able to do it. So I'm able to enjoy SCP stuff again. Do not recommend, though. Don't do not do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm hoping I can skip that part. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. sure. Jenny, your topic is Zardoz and Barbarella have similar energy, except Zardoz comes across as sincere, 
and Barbarella comes across as falsely ironic to hide the sincerity. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I don't know how more I can really unpack that statement. Uh, perhaps you could give some examples. Oh! Oh, that's interesting. Do I have... So here's a question, which is always the question when I'm talking, is do I have receipts for the things that I think... <laughs> or, or am I just pulling them out of my ass based on a tonal perception? All right. So first, first is Zardoz the one with Sean Connery in a bikini? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Sean Connery in his weird little red diaper. Yeah, thing. it looks more like a diaper to me. A diaper? Yeah. I might be misremembering. Diaper, diaper kini. Uh, I mean, it's not. I think it's got like straps that go up, kinda. It's definitely something. And there's the the big head that floats around and vomits guns and tells mm-hmm. you that the penis is bad, the gun is good. <laughs> it is a little bit of a diaper kini. Diaper kini. Diaper kini. Yeah, this came up. Ryan Veter and I were talking about Zardoz for some reason and how it's a it's a movie that if you described it to somebody, there's a chance that they wouldn't believe you that it was a real movie. <laughs> Be like, no, Sean Connery played James Bond. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't run around <laughs> in a little red diaper. 1974, so that they didn't even have like Star Wars to say like, oh yeah, yep. the new sci-fi epic, this is going to be the next Star Wars. Yep. They fully committed, and it's kind of like incomprehensible conceptually... And also based on not that much plot. Like, I think the plot centers around a copy of The Wizard of Oz with the way of Scratched Off, which is how you get Zardoz. Oh. Yeah. Spoilers. Spoilers for the movie Zardoz. So by a copy of, you mean like the book? Mm-hmm. The book. Because in 1974, they didn't have the concept of copies of movies. Right. Yeah. No, there was a copy of the book, The Wizard of Oz. And I think they might have built a society around it, but it's been so long since I've seen the movie Zardoz. This is what John Borman made after trying and failing to make The Lord of the Rings. Like, just for a second, think about the fact the person person who made Zardoz almost (laughs) right before made The Lord of the Rings. Oh, man. Do you think they uh, they took Peter Jackson aside before he made <laughs> The Lord of the Rings and they're like, just so you know, Peter, if you fail, <laughs> this is what will happen to you. And they had him watch Sardos. If you succeed, you make King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> this is your gift and your tragedy. <laughs> So I, I I just feel like it's got a really similar vibe to the movie Barbarella in that they're uh, they're both science fiction movies with um kind of bizarre and and dumb and slightly nonsensical plots and scanty clad people mm-hmm. running around being sex appealing mm-hmm. but Barbarella feels like it's winking. That's kind of all I was really trying to say. Barbarella's like, uh-huh. This is all so we could get Jane Fonda in this outfit. <laughs> Barbarella seems like it was a nod to an existing genre, right? Space fantasy. Space fantasy with scantily clad rocket people, right? Whereas Zardoz was like mm-hmm. sort of that a little bit, but also it's it's just wildly its own thing. And mm-hmm. just kind of kind of inventing a genre. That's my take on that. I haven't seen either movie, either of these in, in many, many a year, so it's hard to for me at least. Yeah, yeah, I would have to do a rewatch. It was a comic first, Barbarella. I forgot about that. Oh, that makes some sense. It was a French comic, of course. For the computer security mailing list, see Zardoz computer security. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been paging through 
Barbarella screenshots on IMDb. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. never seen either movie, so I'm like struggling mm. to come up with anything to say. But I found a screenshot of it looks like Barbarella lying in a giant thumb harp. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, a dude uh-huh. wearing a Dalek, mm-hmm. <laughs> holding what looks like the sheet of paper you'd run through a player piano to make it play music. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I know exactly what yeah. scene you're talking about. Women too. lying yep, on the yep. floor in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an orgasm machine. Mm-hmm. She's in an orgasm machine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, it doesn't look very sexy. Yeah. It really, it really doesn't. No. I, I feel like there are some modern orgasm machines that don't look <laughs> sexy either. That's fair. That's you know, you know I I understand. What, is this a toaster? <laughs> Looks like a ray gun. Keep forgetting. I don't know how how you forget about the 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 blind himbo angel being. Oh yeah, the blind himbo angel. Like how do you just you just oh, like that's why I've the com- angel is just staring into space in all these screenshots? Yes, he's, uh-huh, he's blind. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe a bird person. I don't think he's an angel. I think he's a space bird person. I thought he was an angel. I thought there was a whole like subplot about like oh no, what did they do to this angel? And Barbarella's like stop throwing potato chips at this angel it wasn't potato chips i don't know why i said the words potato chips (laughs) (laughs) do you need a snack i think i do need a snack can we get sponsors for topic lords so i can have a snack can we get utz i mean i could just snacks (laughs) i could just buy you a snack (laughs) (laughs) that's true i could buy myself i already bought you that trophy cruelty free potato chips that have killed no angels yes Yes, that's what we need. Yes. For the show. Yeah, he's a blind angel and his name is Pygar. <laughs> which sounds like a like a like a glass dish from the nineteen seventies mm. that you would cook a casserole. Or like in. a like a NES game. Yeah. I'm paging through more of these photos and I've hit this batch of like fifty in a row that's just Barbarella in front of a white void holding different one-handed like pistol like one this and this one's a crossbow <laughs> they've got ray guns and with like her legs in more and more unlikely positions <laughs> huh are those scenes from the movie or i don't think so i think these are like promotional shots yeah oh wow yeah legs should not twist like that oh so she's doing some weird 1990s rob liefeld pose yeah a little bit yeah that's okay. All right. Are her feet the right size? Uh, mostly. There. It's funny. The one that I'm looking at, she's standing uh, like profile. So there is one arm and hand that's just completely not visible, which is very <laughs> Rob Liefeld. <laughs> Listen, hands are hard. If you only have to draw one hand instead of two, that's a. Maybe we found the secret of Rob Liefeld, right? Like he he just learned how to draw by looking at these Barbarella stills. It all makes sense. Pygar kind of looks like Jude Law. I can see it. I can see it. Jim, sometimes you should just read the plot synopsis of this film, Barbarella, because it's it's real. Yeah. You could also, you could get April to watch it with you. (laughs) We've got a lot of good movies that we don't have time to watch. (laughs) So, is the leader of the local underground named Dildano in those those films? I bet not. Book him, Dildano. (laughs) We watched the Super Mario Brothers movie. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I still need to watch that. Which is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that is a modern classic. I think that the thing was was a heavy, uh just an amazing piece of artistry, I think is the word I'm reaching for here. Yeah. It's cyberpunk, right? Oh yeah. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's cyberpunk body horror, like 
mm-hmm. Lost World sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all those things. Admittedly, it fails as, like, a mass media, like, here's Super Mario Brothers, just like like everybody's going to love it, just like everybody loved the game. It fails at that. Mm-hmm. But it succeeds astonishingly at being this it's entirely its own thing and uh i i really enjoyed it nice. yeah yeah unironically it's it's an enjoyable film if you just don't try it's it's like mario fan fiction through the lens of cyberpunk like it's, it's wild that somehow got like a big studio movie budget and and then nintendo's imprimatur mm-hmm. however you pronounce that word yeah. Okay, so we were just talking about this because we were watching Heat earlier. I don't know if y'all had seen that, the, the Al Pacino, uh, Robert De Niro film. Just a side note of movies being different from the mid-90s. Like, it, it really was different. Kind of the way, the things that were being made mm-hmm. was just stuff was getting greenlit. And, like, there were all these amazing, amazing films. Wait, what? Shigeru Miyamoto felt the Mario film tried too hard to replicate the games? What? Has Shigeru Miyamoto, <laughs> creator of Mario, played the video game Mario? <laughs> No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, he must have made that game when he was on drugs. <laughs> Maybe he's being quietly hilarious yeah. by saying yeah, that. very understated. Yeah, that, well, honestly, like, do they have sarcasm in Japan? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think they might, and just nobody can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I absolutely have had the Japanese company I worked for, one of the execs would have said something like that. <laughs> What a what an incredible quote though, man! You know what would be a great viewing probably is uh, is Detective Pikachu, uh, Super Mario Brothers, and uh, Sonic and Sonic yeah. the Hedgehog. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious about Detective Pikachu. I know Sonic's going to be trash, like just <laughs> absolute garbage. But Detective Pikachu might actually be kind of okay. You could always just watch that uh, the loop of Pikachu jazzercising that. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds uploaded <laughs> as with the with the file name of Detective Pikachu. Oh, that's great. I could watch that video Riff put on YouTube of Tom Nook slapping his own nipples for ten hours. <laughs> I'm holding out for Tom Nook slapping his own nipples for ten years. <laughs> well, if you loop the ten hour what would that be? Three hundred and sixty five. Five, 2.4. Yeah. It, it's too late to do that kind of math in my yeah, head. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Oh, uh, and on that note. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Uh, Jenny, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I am back on Twitter. I'm at HorseWizard without an A. Not going to spell that for you. I trust you. I think I think people can figure it out. <laughs> uh-huh. And Chris, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, aside from my old cooking videos, which I need to update, uh, I'm still pretty off of social media right at the moment. So, um, yeah. Good for you. I'll let you know. All right. Uh, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. 
See you next episode.